0: Hello and welcome to The Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny, and I'm part of the teaching team here at The Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Imagine grief as a little red ball in a box with a pain button. We go through life more often than not trying to avoid anything hitting that button. Uh, But as the little red ball starts to bounce around, it will inevitably make contact. When it does, everything changes. Time slows down, darkness digs its heels in. There's just nothing worse than grief. What's worse is that it never seems to leave us. It keeps hitting the button over and over again. And whilst over time our world expands and the ball perhaps has more room to bounce and hits the button a little bit less, it's still there. And in the moments when the ball does hit the button, the pain is just as real. Why does death have to hurt so much? If death is not really the end, then why does it feel like it is? Why can't God just take away the pain?
1: Switch on the TV or open up the internet and you'll be hard-pressed to find anything that people aren't prepared to talk about. Our news streams, TVs are filled with anything from money, sex, drugs, gossip and politics, and sometimes all of these together. And yet there's one thing that near enough is never talked about, not to any great detail, and that's death. Sure, for the past year we've been watching and listening to the ever-increasing numbers of people who have died from Covid. We have heard analysis of the whys and the spread of this disease, and we've been shown statistics after statistics. And yet amidst all the figures, there's rarely been moments where people have publicly stopped and talked about the reality of death, either of facing it or of living with the loss from it. Now, Johnny, over the last two weeks, has done a brilliant job posing questions to get us thinking about where we go when we die and about these ideas of heaven and hell. But today I want us to get personal... Because as the VT intro shows, death is personal, it's painful, and it is life-altering. If you've ever lost someone, or if you've lost someone this year, then you'll know the truth of that VT, of the ball that hits that button of pain. Because death isn't just a subject that we struggle to talk about, prepare for, or discuss together. Death results in grief, something every single one of us will go through, and every single one of us will have to witness and walk friends and family members through. And yet grief, like death, is something our culture finds almost impossible to talk about. Somehow our culture has been taught that being okay, being happy, is what this world is about. In fact, a Psychology Today article writes, is universally acknowledged nowadays given the sweep of positive psychology sensations that one of the most, if not the most, important goal of life is happiness. And so when we encounter pain, when we encounter grief, we don't really know what to do with it other than to hope and to help someone to get over it. We desperately want them to be okay and we want them to heal quickly and to find happiness again. And when we ourselves are amidst grief, we can easily find ourselves, especially months, even a year on, feeling the expectation, often from ourselves, for us to be okay, to be seen to be okay. Nine years ago, Dave and I lost a daughter, Charlotte Madison Hannah. She was born too early at just six and a half months and because of that she only lived two days. And the thing I remember about my time after her death was this instinctive need for it to be okay for other people. You see I'm a strong people pleaser and so the idea that my upset, my grief might make someone else feel uncomfortable just didn't and it still doesn't sit right with me. See, i had my spaces to let it out but around most people it was a smile as usual not a fake one but a smile nonetheless and conversations always steered onto how they were what they were doing so that we could move off the uncomfortable topic of charlotte's life and death now everyone grieves differently and we each grieve the loss of different things differently as well but i guess what i realized in reflection is that grief doesn't fit with our narrative of life If life is about happiness, how can there possibly space for grief? Because it doesn't fit with what life is supposed to be about. So it becomes unmentionable. And yet we can't escape grief, that aching pain of loss that we experience when something precious to us is lost. A loved one, a family member, a job, a dream, a vocation, a marriage, a friendship, a precious item, a season in life, a child. So what do we do? What do we do with grief? when things aren't okay and they don't feel like they'll ever be okay again. Well, the great news is that the Bible never tries to pretend that life is okay or that it's about striving for happiness. Without wanting to depress you, the Bible is filled with stories of broken relationships, death, famine, disappointment, lost dreams, and heartache. From the very start of the Bible, we see grief, grief from God at the fall of Adam and Eve, the loss of relationship as it was intended, and it continues from there. Because one of the most freeing things that I find about the Christian faith is its narrative for suffering. You see, there is nothing in the Bible that tries to pretend like this world is perfect, that tries to pretend like there will be no hardship or pain in our journey through life. Instead, there is a startlingly real, honest account, one after the other, of people who experience and live lives filled with both joy, hope and love, alongside sorrow and pain and hardship. The whole narrative of the Bible tells us that this world, with all the joys and amazing things that we can experience and all the love and the laughter we find here, this, this world is still not complete. This is still not the best of the best. Instead, it's a broken, imperfect, messed up expression. And as such, there is and will be pain. Something that doesn't work properly always causes pain. Now, I love that the Bible is not full of trite platitudes or that it's full of self-help statements to try to will myself to a place of joy and contentment. Instead, it faces the unmentionables face on. The Psalms, a collection of songs that you find in the middle of the Bible, are full of laments, of grief, of woe. And there's even a whole book entitled Lamentations, which literally means the passionate expression of grief or sorrow or weeping. So why am I so pleased that the Bible is so clear about the reality of grief and loss? Because it reminds us that it exists and will exist in our life. But in the midst of our grief, our loss, it reminds us that God is with us. Psalm 34 says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. See, God isn't a God who wants us to move on or to brush over our griefs, our losses, our pains. Instead, he draws near to us in those very places. He promises to save us, strengthen us, bring hope and peace amidst the most tragic of circumstances. He promises something greater than happiness. He promises us himself. And he understands when everyone else around us fails to. Because you see, Jesus grieved He cried out over Jerusalem, he mourned the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees, he grieved over people without direction, was broken-hearted over people's hard-heartedness and he wept over a friend's death. Jesus knows what it is like to grieve and what's more he knows what it's like to grieve knowing that God could have stepped in and done something and yet he didn't and a loved one is dead. The shortest verse in the Bible is found in John's account of Jesus' life and it simply says Jesus wept. And the context to it is Jesus is standing in front of the grave of one of his closest friends, Lazarus. Now, Lazarus had been sick for a while and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, have sent word to Jesus saying that Lazarus is sick, like really, really sick. And the letter's purpose is to get Jesus to come and to do something for him. But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't. It says, when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. You see, Jesus knows that there is a plan. He knows that out of death, out of grief and loss, something amazing can come. He knows that even though Lazarus will die, even though we all face loss and grief and death, he knows it does not and will not end in death. And so he does what none of us would do. He stays away two days, two whole days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Now I love this, it's a small detail, but I love it. You see, Martha comes out to Jesus, but Mary stays in the house. I wonder, do you ever feel in the midst of grief of loss, unable to reach out and to get yourself to connect with Jesus? Or perhaps do you ever feel like you want to face God head on with your grief and just tell him what you think? Well, Mary and Martha did both. And I love it, because it tells me that Jesus will meet with us where we are, vulnerable, angry, real. We can come to him no matter how we are feeling. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, you could have stopped this. You could have done something about this. But then she says this amazing thing. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Her response shows such realness, accusation and submission. She knows Jesus can do all things and yet she isn't afraid to come to him with the accusation, if only. And Jesus' response? Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. You see, she gets what Johnny was talking about in the first week. She gets that there's a heaven that one day we will rise and live for eternity with God. That that's the ultimate end for all of us that live life with Jesus. And Jesus then makes this utterly breathtaking statement. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And he asks her directly, do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. In the midst of her grief, Jesus is asking her, who do you say I am? Who do you believe I am? despite almost in spite of circumstances. Now the account goes on and Mary joins them outside the village and she asked Jesus the same thing as her sister. Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And we see such a human emotional response from Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. We don't think of Jesus as angry often, but anger at pain and hurt and suffering, that's what we see here. And then we have it, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, "'See how much he loved him.'" But here's the amazing thing. Jesus knew in that moment that death was not the end. He knew the hope of resurrection and new life that we can find in him. He knew that this was not the end for Lazarus, that he was going to come back to life in an amazing way. And yet, he wept. And in the midst of our hope, in the midst of our assurances of where we may end up, Jesus is not asking you to rally and to put a smile on your face and be filled with, it's okay. Jesus wept and we can too. We can weep for the loss of loved ones, a job, a career, a friend, a dream, a marriage, a son or daughter. We can weep at the pain and the injustice and the hurt of it all. And I love this account because it shows me that we can come with all of who we are to Jesus, real, raw, vulnerable, just like Mary and Martha. We can come with our requests for him to act and to do something. We can come with our questions, our hurt and our anger. We can come with our submission and our awareness of who he is and we can come with tears. Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. And yet he also said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And this is what I want us to really grasp today. In the midst of incredible hope, there is room to grieve. Now this past year and a half has been like no other. Due to COVID alone, there has been 3.7 million deaths worldwide, with that number still on the increase. 128,000 deaths in the UK alone. And then amidst that, there has been loved ones, friends and family who've passed away un-COVID related, who we may not have been able to say farewell to in the ways that we would have wanted. There's been loss of jobs, freedom, relationship breakdown and friendship breakdown. There have been so many griefs that I truly don't know if we even know yet the full impact of these 16 months on us as individuals and as a society. And yet Jesus offers us this amazing blend of hope, joy peace that passes all understanding right in the midst of that grief grief he offers us a hope that goes beyond the loss that we experience as he tells us i am in the business of resurrection of bringing dead things back to life and yet he also stands with us and weeps he stands with you and weeps with you for all that you have lost it's okay to not be okay it's okay to grieve amidst the hope that you have because grief is simply an acknowledgement that something you've lost mattered, someone you lost, you loved. And it's okay to hold intention, tension, a hope in Jesus for new life for our loved ones and for us and for our circumstances, whilst also allowing ourselves to feel the weight of the loss we have experienced. So for those of us grieving, here are four things I want to suggest to you. Firstly, it takes time to work through your grief and it's best not to do it alone. I recently watched the BBC documentary entitled Joey Essex, Grief and Me. And it was fascinating to see the contrast between Joey's handling of his grief and his sisters. See, Joey says at the start, people normally see me laughing and joking and being Joey Essex. But I've kept a lot of stuff inside. Things that happened to me I haven't been able to talk about. You see, when I was 10, my mum took her own life, and the truth is I've never been able to deal with it. I've kept all this pain bottled up for 20 years, getting panic attacks, feeling anxious, and pushing people away, but I can't go on like this. I don't talk to anyone about it, it's all in here, hidden. That's the way I chose from a young age that I have never talked about it. But my sister Frankie dealt with the trauma of losing my mum very differently to me. And the difference, his sister says, I've always spoken about my mum, always at school and growing up meeting new friends I've tried to keep her memory alive you see we need people around us who we can be real with honest and people who we can talk to about not only our grief but the person and the thing that we've lost it's okay to be angry or sad or laugh or cry or to be okay and having people around us who allow us to express those different emotions that's essential Dr. Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist says, in order to let go of something, we have to hold on to something else. Secondly, you will need to help others to know what to do. You see, grief is different for each of us. What we will do to handle it and process it might be completely different to how someone else will. And people won't instinctively know what to do to help you, which is why people so often stay away, afraid that they're gonna get it wrong. So help them. Tell them it's okay if they see you cry. Ask people to help you with things, practically but also emotionally. Involve people in your grief. Honestly, they will find it a privilege to walk with you through it. And if you're that person and you've been asked, follow the person's lead. Don't try to solve the situation. Sit with them, walk with them, cry with them, laugh with them as and when they need it. Let's be brave. Let's break with societal expectation and actually ask them, how are they doing? What can we do for them? Even months, maybe a year after it's happened. Rosgin, a lady who used to attend the forge and who almost seven years ago lost her brother, Phil, at the age of 26. She wrote this in a blog a year after he died. The kindest thing you can do will probably make me cry. I'm sorry because I know you don't want me to be upset. You will want to comfort me and for me to be okay. And there are times when this is wonderful. But there are also times when I need to be upset. What I really need you to know is that I was hurting anyway whether or not you could see it. Thirdly, find ways to acknowledge and recognize the personal thing that you've lost in your life going forwards. Their absence physically does not have to mean an absence from everything moving forwards talk about them share them with others it's okay to have items that remind you of them at anniversaries or christmas or birthdays dave and i went to a grief group and we as a result got decorations on our christmas tree that we bought the year charlotte was born and it's a way of us remembering that she's part of our family and that she's missed each christmas it doesn't have to be weird or make a big deal of but it's something that reminds you that you love them that despite not being here they matter and that they're part of who you are and who you've become And lastly, within your grief and your mourning, God is there to meet with you. In preparing for this talk, I listened to the book of Lamentations on the Bible app, and it is definitely not a light listen. But the thing that struck me, in fact, I think I even said it out loud after listening, was, is that it? Is that where it ends? There's no conclusion to it. Because you see, Lamentations is a book about the sufferings of Judah, a nation set aside for God, who are exiled and literally starving. And it's a heartfelt plea to God in the midst of their suffering. And like so many Psalms do, I was expecting it to end with an uplifting, upbeat reminder of who God is and how he will save them. And yet, there was none of it. It ends as it started, with laments. And I couldn't believe that that was the conclusion. And yet right in the centre of the book, right in the centre of their grief and pleas, the writer writes this. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Grief doesn't always tie up neatly and tidily, just like Lamentations doesn't. But the heart of it, just like the heart of Lamentations is, who do we say God is amidst our grief? Can we see him and trust him and remember his faithfulness amidst the pain? He weeps with you and he's faithful. And one day, one day our hope in Jesus is that we'll see loved ones again. All the brokenness and the pain will be gone but also a hope that there can be restoration and restitution now. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. But until then, in the midst of hope, there is room to grieve. And God is right there with you, faithful, compassionate, good, and strong. C.S. Lewis says, we should bring to God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. So my question for you today is, what would it look like for you to bring to God what is actually in you rather than what you feel ought to be in you?
0: That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.